0: That was very mellow walkout music. It's not what I'm used to. Hey, uh, you know, this happens to me very regularly when we're in worship. And uh, we're singing a song. And I just, uh, just hone in on the lyrics. And um, I, I just want to encourage you, when we worship, just be careful not to just sing. I mean, sing because God calls us to sing. And rejoice because God calls us to rejoice and, and all that. But, but pay attention to the lyrics of the song. And and let the lyrics of the song um, challenge you. And let the lyrics of the song really uh, penetrate who you are. And I think some of the lyrics we sang today, they're brave lyrics. To to really say, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Well, guess what? There's no greater adventure in life than knowing God more. But it can be scary sometimes because God sometimes calls us to go places and do things that we don't necessarily, or exposes things we don't necessarily want to see. There's just a, it, it, there, there could be no greater adventure you can go on, but I just want, I just want to make sure we don't just go through the motions and sing our songs, and, and they're great, and the, and the band is awesome, and it, it's very easy just to come in here and enjoy the music and not let the lyrics penetrate who we are. That has nothing to do with what I'm here to talk about, but anyway, let me pray. Lord, thank you, uh, for today. Thank you for the worship set we just experienced. Thank you for Norflet and his leadership and the, and the volunteers that were up here and the way they played and uh, the way they worshiped with an electric guitar, or a drum, whatever they used. Lord, it was just a beautiful thing to listen to the church worship, to stop even the instruments and hear the church sing, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Lord, help us to know you more. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to uh, avoid playing church. We pray all the time, Lord, that, that we would be different than we came, that this would be, um, that this would be impactful. So use my words, use uh, these next 30 minutes to do what you need to do to help us to leave this place different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm pretty excited. We start uh, a new series today called Game Changers. Uh, the idea here is that we're going to walk through the letter First Peter, and we're calling this series Game Changers because, in essence, there, there's something about First Peter that helps us to understand or to learn how to have an impact. One of the the studies that I read, um, I want to put this quote right out of the study. It said, "The message of First Peter concerns how Christians—that would be us, right—are to live in a hostile environment." But not just live in a hostile environment. Look at what it says. It says and live in such a way, not only to endure, but to have lasting impact for the good of that environment. The bottom line is that this is a letter. This, this letter of First Peter is a letter that instructs us how to have impact in a hostile environment. The fact is, whether whether wherever you are in life, whether you're in junior high or high school or in the marketplace or or a stay-at-home mom, or on the soccer field, or on the baseball diamond, wherever you are, there is this amazing opportunity for us to have impact, but not just impact, but impact for the good of the environment, for the good of the people around us. And as followers of Jesus, we ought to be asking ourselves, how do I live in such a way? How do I live out my lives? How do I behave? How do I respond to the gospel? How do I respond to scriptures in such a way that I'm actually having an impact on others? And I'm not sure we ask that question of ourselves enough. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons why we don't. Sometimes we don't ask because maybe we just don't care. I know it sounds harsh, but the truth is sometimes we're just not all that concerned with anything outside of our own little sphere of influence. Maybe we don't want to stand out, we just want to blend in and kind of fly under the radar. But I think maybe it's also because we fail to understand that we are all called to be game changers, every single one of us. So as the series starts today, I want to kind of set a, a, a The biblical context or the theological context for the fact that we are all called, everyone in this room is called to be a game changer. No one gets a pass. No one gets to say, yeah, but but I can't. I'm not. I I don't have. I I never will. No one gets a pass. We are all called to be game changers. And the beauty is, and we'll see this in a minute, that we're actually called. We're also equipped and empowered to be game changers. So Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, we are God's workmanship Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are designed purposefully. God actually knit us together. God actually designed us. That, that word workmanship, some of your Bibles may translate it, uh, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. It's actually a, a word that refers to a work of art, that we are actually put together by God as a work of art. And then it says, but we're put together as a work of art to do good works that he prepared in advance which says that that God actually knows what you're supposed to do. He knows where you're supposed to have impact. He knows how he wants to use you to be a game changer. So he's designed you in a specific way and he's prepared you to do a good work in advance so that, what does it say? Good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And, And so, the, the secret here or the, the challenge here is that we don't get to sit on the sideline. We all have to step up into the idea of being a game changer. So one of our six essentials, remember what the six essentials are? We've said that there are six things that we all need in our lives in order to grow spiritually. These are six elements. Remember an element is parts of a whole or another way to maybe say it is, is it's like a, an ingredient to a, a cake. You need all of these ingredients to make it work. So there's six essentials that you need. Well one of the six essentials is that you serve. So if, you, if, if we as a church are calling you to serve, it's not just because we need busy people. It's not just because we want to get you out of the seats and doing something. It's because when you serve, you begin to understand and discover what that very purpose that God created you to do is. You begin to understand what God made you to do. So I remember when I first started coming to Grace, and we've been here for about 20 years, and it was before I was ever on staff. I was still in the business sector, and I was working. And Scott Schaum invited me to help him co-teach 2 Corinthians. Well, it was teaching or co-teaching with Scott 2 Corinthians that I discovered something. I discovered, A, that I, I love to study the Word of God with a mind for how would you teach it. It became very life-giving for me to do it. And I also began to understand that, that God may have given me some teaching gifts. It's something I never would have even known had Scott and I said, hey, come alongside me. Let's do this together. So we serve, and as we serve, we begin to discover, hey, I can do this. God has actually designed me to do this very thing. And sometimes what you'll discover is you're not very good at it. And that's sometimes just as helpful as what you're good at. So you serve in a particular way. You say, you know what? This, this isn't working for me. This isn't, I, I don't, I don't this, this doesn't feel like I'm really giving back to the Lord the way I want to. So we want you to plug in. We want you to serve. We want you to be involved because that's where you're going to discover who you are. That's where you're going to discover how to really be a game changer in your context. The other thing I want you to see theologically, biblically, is Jesus was talking to his disciples. And so as talking to his disciples, he said these words, and these words really apply directly to us. He says in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, he says, you, he's saying you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds That they may see the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. They see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Just in case I haven't convinced you yet, we are all called to be game changers. We are all called to have an impact in our unique setting. We have to live our lives in such a way that the people around us see the light of God in us. We have to to live our lives and do the good deeds that God prepared in advance for us to do so that, what does it say? It says, so that your deeds will glorify your Father in heaven. And what does it mean to glorify God? We've talked about this a lot. To glorify God means to make God known. Really, we exist to bring glory to God. What does that mean? It means we exist to make God known. And when God becomes known, everything changes. The more we know God, the more we have change in our lives. The more we we know God, the more we say, when we sing a song, I want to know you more, I want to know you more. It's because knowing God more changes everything about who you are. It changes your behaviors. It changes your responses. It changes your attitudes. So we want to know God more, but we want to also be people who live in such a way that we bring glory to God or make God known. Part of today, and I'm excited about this, is we get to talk to a couple of people who are game changers in their unique setting. Uh, Roger and Nuroko are our partners, and uh, they are partners in what we call Courage Home. So you've heard about Courage Home, you've seen videos on Courage Home. Uh, but they're gonna come up and w- when I went to India, we were trying to figure this out at dinner last night. I think it was about two years ago. Does that sound about right? Um, so we went to India about two years ago, and we saw lots of things, and we talked to lots of people, but, but truly the highlight for me was sitting in their context, in their ministry, and hearing their story of how God has brought them to what they're doing in India. It's really very profound, and it just touched my heart. So I would like you to welcome Roger and Hiroko, and they're going to come up, and we're going to share a little bit about their ministry. Yeah, Thank
1: you.
0: you. So, Roger, I'm going to let you just kind of uh, tell everybody what it is you do, a um, little bit about the, uh, the partnership we have and, and, and what the work is, and uh, however sure. you want to describe it would be awesome.
2: Yeah, Courage Homes is an aftercare home for teenage girls who rescue rescued from trafficking and we're licensed through the government in our city, in India. And when the girls come to us, brought by local police, we have a team of 12 Indian Christian women that do the work of mothering, counseling, um, giving medical care, um, education, education, teaching, things like that. So kind of a whole variety of things we have to do to help the girls. Because when they come to us, it's like raw trauma. So you have lots of different kind of wild behaviors and things going on.
0: So teenage girls, how old? 12 to 17. And Is it common to have girls as young as 12? Come
1: in. No, it's more common to have 14 years and 15 years old. 14
0: and 15. But
1: 12 years old has come, actually one girl was less than like 10 years old.
0: Oh my goodness, yeah. 10 years old. Yeah. Huh. So, why Courage Home? What's the significance of the name? Why, why did you choose? Yeah, when,
1: when we
2: chose the name Courage Homes, we were thinking about how it would take a lot of courage for our team to stay in there with, the, with girls in the long haul. We know firsthand what it means to heal from abuse, and we had people around us in a season of healing that we were in. But what we didn't anticipate was how much bravery the girls themselves show. We have girls that have to go uh, to testify in court against the perpetrators with the judge there, all the people in the courtroom, and talk about the really painful, shameful details of what happened. And so we've seen a lot of bravery on their part. Sure. Um, Even girls that cried out for help, tried to escape from where they were being held against their will, things like that. I see. So that's part of the courage that God gives.
1: And uh, all the society in India believes once you're abused, your life is ruined. So just the courage to believe for the future, the courage to believe there's a potential and they can be successful, that's why it's courage. Shown.
0: So you're saying that society actually kind of lays on them that now that this has happened to you, you're damaged goods. You're ruined. You're, you're ruined. You're, it doesn't matter. There's, there's no... There's no getting out of that, whatever it is, stigma or, or, or label but that's been put we on we and our that.
2: team are saying that's not true. We sure. know you can heal. We know that God has a different future, a better future for these girls. Uh-huh. And so we're trying to give them a fighting chance to go on that pathway.
0: That's great. Uh, Roko. I know a little bit of your story, but I want you to share um, with us a little bit of your journey. And, and th- even thinking about that Ephesians 2.10 that God has, has prepared you in advance For the good works, and you guys are doing a really good work. It's amazing to see what you're doing and and be able to partner with you. But can you tell a little bit of your own story and how that prepared you for what you're doing now?
1: So about um, 10 years ago, I started having a flashback, which I started remembering something happened when I was a child. I was abused as a child. And we are in the States for three months. We've been in India about 10 years by then, but we have to stay in the States to get counselling. And that was a really painful process for me. If you know anything about trauma counselling, before you get better, it was. So it was like fighting against a wave. It keeps coming. I keep fighting, but it's coming. It seems to be endless. And uh, eight months into it, I was very, very close to giving up the whole process. And I was so. Angry at God. I remember I was sitting in a counseling room. I was just so angry. I started ripping my Bible. I confess. <laughs> I was just so angry. I started ripping my Bible. And that day I felt so awful. What kind of Christian am I to you know, destroy the Word of God, the book? But I was driving on the street and I saw this picture. And uh, this side, I was sitting in darkness alone. And this side, I saw. Dozen of Indian women sitting in bigger darkness, and they are wounded. Physically, I see the blood and coming, and I heard the voice, if you cannot trust me in your own darkness, how can you trust me in other darkness? For now, trust me, I will be sending you there.
0: So um, I just want to make sure you, you got, I know, know Iroko <laughs> has an accent. She said, if you can't trust me with your own darkness, how can you trust me with others' darkness?
1: Yeah. And that was big, big darkness. Oh, sure.
0: And so you, but you also said you came back for three months. We and thought it, it was be yes, be three months. Yes, and and so you entered into some counseling. Discovered through some flashbacks that you had your own um, abuse as a child. And I, I don't want to sound over, but how long did you end up being here instead of three months four before and you figured? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Three
2: months turned into four and a half
0: years. And that four and a half years was mostly a journey of your own healing. That's right. Uh, deliverance from just, just the pain and, and, and the things that happened.
1: Yeah. But looking back, that day was the worst day in the whole counseling process. Since that day, God started healing me. Sure. I started going up. It didn't happen like this, but God started healing me. And I just saw it's like God who gives me vision of courage in the like, darkest time in my life. And then after that, I start experiencing God can not only hear me, but He can actually transform. And not only that, He also taught us how to follow God in the counseling. Like when you face pain and chaos, our human response the tendency is to have a self-control and to have just control everything. Sure, sure. But God is saying let go of self-control, let go of control, and that the picture. Um,
0: Did we get the picture? We, got the picture? we were trying to scan a picture right before I the service
1: I do and draw this picture. Oh, there and, it is. Uh, I think I'm it's sorry, sideways, it's though. Sideways, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. if you it's can It's supposed see. to be this way. <laughs> so the girl falling down, was holding on to that self-protection and control, uh-huh. but God said, "Let go." And when you let go, you kind of feel like you are falling down into unknown. Sure. Like you feel so Lack vulnerable. Of but that's when you find God where really He walks in you, and as we do, courage you know, we start at home, we fix chaos every day, traumatize girls, but again and again God reminded me I have to let go of my control and let God walk in their lives and in their lives.
2: Then you realize you're actually following into God's hands.
0: Sure. Yeah. So the beauty of that is, and I kind of, part of the reason why I just, I love the fact that they're here today. Imagine the hope that Roger and Hiroko can give to these girls when part of her story is so similar to theirs, and and you know, I don't understand all of why things happen the way they happen. But the truth of the matter, God has redeemed something that was so traumatic in such a profound way that that the two of them can actually have hope for the girls when the the girls probably have a lack of hope for themselves, even because they know. Look, there is another side of this. There is a way to 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 experience Christ and to find healing in such deep wounds. One of the things before I forget, I just want to put it there, um, this is a book that they just wrote that came out, I think, just in the last few weeks. Ten days ago, we Ten days, finally. Ten days ago. Um, and I had a chance, to, I, I knew their story from when we were there, but I had a chance to read about half of it yesterday. Um, it's well worth your time. Um, much more detail to the journey uh, that they've been on as a couple. But we'll have these available at the information counter if you want to uh, pick up a book. So one of the things I also want to talk about, you said you, you have to work with the government. Right. And what's yeah. the challenge of that? The, the government in India is not necessarily... Uh, favorable to, to Christians?
2: Yeah, so it's very interesting because I think a lot of our Indian friends on the street might think um, we don't want to work with government. I think a lot of Americans feel that way too, like, oh, keep, let's keep away, you know, the government's bad. But actually what we find is that there are many men and women in the police force in government officials um, whether they're Christian or not in India who really have a heart to help. Right. And so what we're finding is that the Delhi police um, local police will bring people to us national police will bring people to us and um, they're rescuing the children out. They're working with the court system to help girls so that they can speak up for themselves. And so we're kind of linked in to the government. You know, we're, The people that license us have been coaching us on how to go about interfacing with the whole system. So we're just kind of in awe of how that works. Sure. They know that we are followers of Jesus, um, but they've also told us, look, we think you're with one of the best homes here in our, in our city. And uh, so that, that's the good work that should stand for. Um, sure the good work's prepared for us, right? That right. cause people to be attracted to what God can do. Sure. The kind of hope God gives.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about your vision. So we talked just a little bit, but, mm-hmm. but what do you see happening in the near future? I know that God has given you a vision for something new and exciting, and we want to be able to pray with you <laughs> yeah. and ask God what our role in that's going yeah. to be. But
2: Our home has a capacity for 12 girls at any given time. We've had 80 come in the last two and a half years, come through the doors. But we're now wanting to raise money to buy land and construct buildings so we can have homes for... Um, 20 girls of three different categories the very short-stay girls that come and go within about a month Which is the majority of our girls and a middle term girl that would be with us until she's 18 Because she can't go home to a safer place But she's assigned to us longer term and then the very long-term girls who turn 18 and can't be with us But can be in another home a beauty for ashes home and that would give them more vocational training more discipling things like that
0: So why wouldn't they be able to go home? So you talked about the middle girls, home, so yeah, just, home, we didn't talk about that. We have to that.
2: do a, a study on the, the, the family of origin to find out if they were involved in the trafficking or in the abuse. So in many cases, the girls are not able to go back because it's not safe for them.
0: So sometimes yeah. it's the family themselves that, yeah, that yeah, sent them into, into the, the trafficking. Half the people in
2: the world who are trafficked are trafficked by somebody known to them. And that's definitely true where we live, work.
0: So what can we do? We hear about human trafficking. We've talked about human trafficking a lot as a church. Mm-hmm. What What can... What can we do?
2: Yeah, we had some ideas. Do you want to talk about the first
1: one? Oh, about trafficking?
0: Yeah, just like, like how do we get involved? What can we do? How can we, how can we make a difference in something that seems so distant?
1: Well, first year when we went back to India after counseling 2008, we didn't know what we were going to do about trafficking. We know we want to do something. And what we did is we prayed and we did research and asked God to show us what he wants us to do. So I uh-huh. think that's what... Uh, many people can do is we have to do research what's happening in the door area, yeah. what police is doing. Is police need anything, help from us? Or is there any homes available for if rescue girls come? So a lots of research and prayer and asking God to show us.
2: We found that it takes a lot of organization to do this work of justice. You, sure. have, to, you have to find out what's there, what kind of licensing requirements are on you, and then kind of get set up and organized to do it. Um, So that's something that can be done in any city, and that's a big challenge, I think, for God's people to take the time and the care to do that, so that something can be done. Praying is really important, Um, you know, praying for God to release these captives, even once they're physically set free, there's all the emotional uh, bondage that has to be worked through the spiritual bondage. Um, We welcome people to partner with us. We know that you guys are partnering with us. We're so grateful for the financial support that helps to run the home. We're now looking to raise a lot more money to buy this land. How much? About three and a half million dollars. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we think it was a miracle to get the thing started, a miracle to find the team in place. We just need another miracle now. Sure. Immeasurably right more, right? We, can, we yeah. can
0: believe God for that, right? Yeah, Amen. Mean. That's awesome. Hey, I want to I wanna pray for you. Okay. Um, and then, Lord, I do thank you for Roger. Thank you for Hiroko. Thank you for um, just the the amazing opportunity we had as we traveled to India to sit with them and to begin a relationship uh, between grace and courage home. I pray that the relationship would grow. I pray that we would we would catch their vision for um, what they want to do in their context. It'd help us to just be an encouragement to them. Help us to be a blessing to them. Lord, if we are to uh, step up and help them with this home in, in some way, I, I know we are uh, prayerfully but also financially, just just lay it on our hearts and help us to know how to do that. Help us to come alongside them in a way that uh, uh, breathes life into their, their ministry. It's a, it's a rough place, and it is a very demanding ministry. So we pray for, for protection and courage. Pray that you continue to grow them and strengthen them. Pray for their... They're awesome family. It was just so good to be with them last night. Just bless their kids. And uh, just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you both. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> so here's what happens in a, uh, in, in a context like this I think sometimes we are convinced that we don't have the opportunity to be game changers because we're not in India. Well, yeah, but, but you're a pastor. Yeah, but, but you're a, a partner over there in that, in that foreign country. And, and I just want to make sure that you're not giving yourself a pass, that you're not saying, yeah, but, yeah, but they are. I just want to make sure that, that we go back to the biblical context, that we are all called to be game changers in our unique context. That is their context but don't let that be a reason why it's not for you. So, I have no idea where I am, I do this to myself all the time. So I was on a, let me put the the whole context thing into uh, my own journey. I went to Brazil, uh, one of the first mission trips I went on, I just sold the business um, that I was in and I was sitting with Ken Decker, who was our missionary there. Ken has since passed away. We were sitting on a boat called the Ebenezer, our feet dangling in the Amazon River. And I said to Ken, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do with my life. Uh, I think God is calling me to do something in ministry. I started talking about uh, traveling and, and doing that, that that partnership thing like like uh, Roger and, and Hiroko. And Ken looked at me and said, don't, don't ever think about coming here and having impact if you can't have impact in your own context. Don't ever think about traveling across the seas to think that you can be one of those types of people if you can't be that type of person in your own context. And in reality, it was a wake-up call for me that I needed to go home and I needed to be a game changer in my house right? I needed to be a game changer in my community. I needed to be a game changer in in the very context that I was in. And whether God was calling me to go or to stay wasn't really the question. The question was, am I having an impact in my particular setting? And the question is, are you having an impact in your particular setting? With well, just a few minutes remaining, we don't have a lot of time, I want to kind of paint a big picture of 1 Peter for you. I want, I want you to see the, the, the bigger things that we're going to learn as we walk through 1 Peter. And what it'll do is it'll help us to understand the context of this letter so that we can make better applications into our own lives. The reason we got to understand the, the context is because we need to know what it is that Peter is teaching and why he's teaching it and then say to ourselves, well, well how is my life similar to that? What is it that I can relate to? What is it that, that is similar to my journey that allows me to make application? Otherwise, what we do is we read the letters and we think, well, that's for them, not necessarily for us. So the first thing I want you to see is that, that Peter was writing to Gentiles. He was writing primarily to Gentiles. And so, in essence, he's writing to us. So my guess is the vast majority of us in this room are not of Jewish descent. And some of you may be, and 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 that's great, and it would still apply to you. But for those of us who did not come out of Jewish descent, and we are Gentiles, as those were Gentiles, the first thing that we can recognize is, is that this is a letter for us. But the thing that's fascinating is if you look at First Peter, if you want to grab your Bibles, open to First Peter, look at First Peter 2. We're going to read verses 9 and 10 because there's sort of a, uh, this is sort of an overarching theme to the entire letter that I want you to get. So 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. Peter writes these words. He says, you, remember he's talking to Gentiles, but he's going to use this amazing language that's so, so it harkens back to what was happening in the Old Testament and the way the God's chosen people were, were described. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. I love that. God's special possession. He goes back and he says, you are all game changers. As a matter of fact, you're chosen by the living God. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's possession. The, the God of the universe says it, that I hold you in my possession. All of this, and look at verse 9, it says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. That we might Declare that we might live our lives and, and, and live out and behave in such a way that it declares the praises of Him, that it brings glory to God, that it makes God known, that each and every one of us are a part of the royal priesthood and called to be game changers. I have a couple of friends who are battling terminal cancer, um, and it's, it's been hard. But I, I want you to know or hear that as I journey with both of these people, uh, they are modeling for me this idea of declaring the praises of God. Amidst the loss of, of even being able to do the things they want to do, amidst the, the physical pain that they're in, amidst the, the, the prognosis of, of what's going to happen, it's terminal, there is this joy that they, that they exhibit. And I, and I sit with them, and I'm amazed, and I'm challenged, and I hear God saying, look, we are to declare the praises of God regardless of our circumstances. And if these two ladies can do that very thing, how much more in whatever circumstances I'm going through, that I can declare the praises of God, that I can live my life in such a way that I am light in the darkness." God is calling us. He's telling us that we are to be light. That we are called to be game changers. Philippians 2:14 and 15, we, we looked at this verse in depth when we walked through Philippians. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Grumbling, complaining, arguing actually short circuits our ability to be game changers. It actually dims our light. Grumbling, complaining. And so here are these two ladies that are going through so much and they have such an ability to to declare the praises of God and it inspires me. It inspires me to say, I need to live my life in such a way. We need to live our lives in a similar way. We see throughout, throughout the, the reading of this that those people, and this, this all takes place, Paul is writing to people who are in what we know as modern Turkey. And what, and what we know about them is they were actually uh, residents, but they weren't citizens. So they lived and, and they were what So, so here they are living in an area and they didn't have citizenship. And because they didn't have citizenship, they were actually persecuted. Because they didn't have citizenship, they were looked down upon. They didn't have the same rights, they weren't allowed to do the same they were actually cheated at times, they they, they couldn't be full residents of the area. And that's who Peter's writing. he's writing to Gentiles who are living in an area who are who are not citizens and, and who are oppressed and and met with prejudice. And he's saying to them, look, I want you to live your life in such a way that you bless the very people who are oppressing you. That you actually bless those who are oppressing you. And again, it doesn't matter where you are, what your context is. You are called to bless people even if they are persecuting you. Even if they are treating you with prejudice, even if the, the government doesn't, doesn't think the way you want to think them to think, you still are called to bless them. The problem is, when we feel any kind of persecution, when we feel any kind of, of, of exclusion, our tendency as humans is to do one of two things. When we feel that thing going on, we either, we either uh, uh, become hostile and strike out at people, or we begin to hide. We begin to, 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 to go into some type of, of, of Christian uh, context where it's just us. We make this mistake that when we expect the, the non-Christian to world to live by Christian values, when we begin to, to look at them and see, well, they're not acting right. They're not doing the things Christians do. We become judgmental. We become harsh. We become people who are, like, think about how we treat people who are far from Christ. But then there's this picture of Jesus, right? We say here, we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. What was Jesus' reputation? He was a friend to sinners, right? He was a friend to sinners and that ought to challenge us and it ought to make us think. But, but is that our reputation as the evangelical church, that we're friends to sinners? Because see, we haven't fit in. We're not, really, we're not really accepted. And the truth of the matter, if you live a life uncompromised, if you live a life following Christ, there is times, many times, where you feel like you don't really fit in. But the question is, when you don't fit in, how do you respond? Do you isolate yourself or do you become adversarial? And often we become adversarial. We become judgmental. And we we display a behavior that doesn't allow us to be game changers and doesn't allow the light to shine. So sometimes we become very aggressive, judgmental, and sometimes we are more harsh on people who don't know Jesus because they don't live by Christian values than we are on our own lives when we don't live by Christian values. Right? So the other thing we often do is if we don't become adversarial, we hide. We, we kind of isolate ourselves. So uh, one of the things I read this week was for a book called Two Christian, Two Pagan. Dick Stab says these words. He says, many Christians have no unbelieving friends. They spend all of their social time with other believers. In fact, some have observed that the average believer has no, that's zero, unbelieving friends after they have been a believer for two years. Because of the large evangelical subculture that most believers are already in relational overload with just their believing friend. As a result, they have no time or energy or relational capacity for unbelievers. But if we want to live like Jesus, then something's got to shift here. So Luke 5, 1 and 2 says that the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And I want you to, I wanted to read that because the fact that he ate with them meant something more than it means here. It was when in that culture, when you would actually invite somebody in and you would have a meal with them, it was almost covenantal. You were saying you are no longer just an acquaintance. You are no longer just a, a person I know and just a, a casual friend. When we eat together, something different is taking place and we have entered into a deeper relationship but he's having meals with swindlers and and sexual deviant people and and the people from the outside are looking and saying how did Jesus do that does that not challenge you do you not wonder how do we live out our Christian values and still welcome people who are far from Christ and not them make them feel shame and make them feel dirty and make them feel like they don't belong there is something in this to challenge us and the other challenge is we have to hold on to this weird paradox in the fact that we say to you all the time, you have to be with other people. Part of the six essentials is that you connect, that you connect with others around the word of God, that you're in a small group, that you're in a accountability relationship, that you're sharing the word of God with each other, that you're challenging each other and you're growing with each other. But at the same time, we also say to you, you have to be a person of influence, and so you're going to have to enter into the chaos of that and say, how do I do both? Because if we're not careful, like the statistics say, two years into this journey of following Jesus, we have zero unbelieving friends. Well, how can our light shine in the darkness? How can we be game changers and have impact if we have no friends who are far from Christ? So we got to figure out how to walk this walk and, and have this balance. We need to learn to do both. We need to learn not to be judgmental and lash out and to, and to project shame and, and judgment on people and leave that up to God. And we have to be careful not to isolate ourselves. We need to remember, and what we're going to learn from 1 Peter is that we are a chosen people, that we're a royal priesthood, that God has actually chosen us to be light in the darkness. And as we study this, we're going to learn how is it that we're supposed to do this in our home. There's going to be passages that talk to us about how to be husbands. There's going to be passages that talk to us how to be, how to be wives. There's going to be passages that talk to us of how to be a good coworker, how to be a good, a, a good to your boss. There's even going to be passages that tell us how to respond to the government and our situation. All of this to help us know how is it that we can live our lives in such a way to be game changers in our own unique context. This series is going to take us all the way through the summer. My encouragement to you is to be here. My encouragement to you when you can't be here is to get the CDs, keep up. I would hope that by the end of the summer, your Bible just falls open to 1 Peter. So begin reading it. Begin reading it with that context in mind of knowing that it's written to the Gentile people, knowing that it's written to people who who feel like they're in a hostile environment that don't necessarily fit in, but are called to have impact in their own unique environment. The last thing I want to tell you is, I guess, a final announcement. Um, Roger and Hiroko are going to stay throughout the day, and um, we are going to have what we're calling an Indian bazaar. I'm not exactly sure what a bazaar is, but I think it means we're going to sell some stuff. Um, And we want you to come back from 3 to 6. Uh, this is a great way for us to raise some money for them. It's a great way for you to understand more about their ministry. Uh, if you go back even now and you look at the cafe, it's already be- been decorated. It's just going to be a great thing. So my encouragement to you is come back. It's like an open house. You don't have to be here that whole time. Just come for, for part of the time. Meet them. Meet their family. See what they're doing. Buy a little bit of product. There's jewelry there. There's There's all kinds of things there. Um, You can also buy their book and that will help them. But we just want to encourage you to come back and uh, discover what Courage Homes is doing. I also want to remind you that there are people down here that would be more than happy to pray with you. If you want to even speak to Roger and Hiroko, I know that they would be willing to meet you down here as well if you want to introduce yourself to them. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this letter, 1 Peter, and the journey that we get to go on together. Just pray that you would... um, You would do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, even as we study this letter. Help us to be game changers. Help us to to be about change in our families and in our neighborhoods. Lord, help the message of Christ to spill out of this place in an uncontrollable way, like the early Acts church, that people would just be flooding because they want to know your son. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for this body. Thanks for the chance for us to be together, to connect, to gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Have a great Sunday.